Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I am Mike Schaefer, joined by Michael Brunts. Here on a Tuesday, it's supposed to be 60 degrees. We think BC has snuck off to the link somewhere, <laughs> maybe down in Kansas. Uh, we're not entirely sure. He's got to go somewhere where there's still not the remnants of the leftover snow, but I think that's why he's gone today. Is that is that fair uh, slandering? I, I think uh, that's good slander. I think I have to stand up for him and slander his dog. Um <laughs> Ronnie pulled the computer Ronnie pulled the computer off the table and uh, BC's on the DL for a couple days so just uh, two man we're playing the two man game today man I thought the I thought he had a Mac and they had the the magnetic thing that allows you to avoid the the computer pull the 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 people at Apple were apparently not ready for Ronnie's super super canine strength Wow. Well, at least you know you got a really strong dog, I guess. That's something, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll make do about BC, who I still think might be trying to get golf. <laughs> I wouldn't blame him. Wouldn't I blame mean, him. he doesn't have a computer. It doesn't mean that uh, he can't play golf. So I, I see no reason why my theory and your theory can't both be true. This, this, this is true. All right. So Nebraska basketball is good. Is that a thing? So tell me if this is the way it works, and I'll, I'll credit one of our board members for, for throwing this theory out there, that once you hit March, essentially college basketball is like risk. And if you happen to beat a team that's projected to go to the NCAA tournament and you win, you, you assume and take on their – their tournament projections. So I believe Nebraska is now projected to be a seven seed in the NCAA tournament based on last night's result. Yeah, this is their best win of the season, right? Obviously it's the best they played. It's the most they beat a team by all of that. Well, not the most they beat a team by, but the most they beat a, a big 10 team by um, this, is their best win of the season, best they played that sort of thing. Yes. Well, I mean, I would say that that was probably the most complete game of the Fred Hoiberg era. Even more complete than their 103-point performance or whatever it was at the start of the year? Yes. Or just relative to opponent complete? Well, both. I mean, I think, I think especially when you consider opponent, I mean, you know, maybe the Iowa game last year, but, I mean, I, I think Nebraska really caught Iowa on a – perfect night last year because um, they were what like one for 47 from three-point range in that game Roughly. approximately yeah. so yeah I mean it, it was just one of those games that left you shaking your head and it was kind of fun watching social media because there weren't a ton of game there weren't a ton of early games going on so Shamil Stevenson hits a runner in the lane where most times he probably would have barreled into somebody and gotten called for a charge to put Nebraska up 30 um, in the second half. And the reaction from, you know, national college basketball media was a collection of, wow, look at Rutgers and holy crap, Nebraska. Like it was, you know, I I think it was a, a nice little bit of positive pub for a team that's desperately needed something good to happen for a long, long time. Do you think that this win is more impressive considering the weird last month 
that Nebraska has undertook in order to play all of these games? Yeah, I mean, this, there, this... there's there's a scenario, and we've seen this happen before, where a team with its back against the wall that has nothing to play for really just packs it in. Like we've seen Nebraska at the end of seasons, their last home games lose by 30 some points to Michigan. And, you know, for them to show up the way they have the last two nights, I think is their last two times out has been really impressive. Yeah. Well, I mean, not only that, but, and this is, I believe was game 12 in a 24 or 25 game stretch. And, you know, they, they played a Rutgers team. I mean, I, I think a lot of, you know, kind of casual basketball fans would say, oh, you know, it's Rutgers, big, big deal. But, you know, Rutgers now is one of the most physical teams in, in the Big Ten, guards the hell out of the rim and, you know, has some really nice players. And Nebraska really just took it to them, like from the opening tip. I mean, you, you got Lat Mayan hitting for 14 points before the first media timeout. The ball was moving. Um, you know, Nebraska, I, I believe, had four shots blocked at the rim in the first five minutes of that game, and then they finished 14 of 15 at the rim the rest of the way. Like, it was just – they were running the layup line sometimes. And even when Rutgers, you know, turned up the intensity defensively, and I could see where Steve Feichel in the, in the huddles probably saying, look, like, you know, give me four minutes of solid defensive effort and let's see what we can do with this thing. And Nebraska had an answer every time. So, um it, it was a, a really impressive win. And, you know, it, it, it comes on the heels, you know, less than 12 hours after you lose your leading score. And we can get into that a little bit too and, and kind of what that means going forward for this program. But it, uh, I don't know that there were too many people that saw that game coming. I know, you know, Rutgers certainly didn't. Um, and I don't even know that Fred Hoiberg did, given kind of how Monday went. Um. Should Lat Mayhem change his name to Lat Mayhem? He should consider it. Um, Especially after Stephen Bardo says that Kofi Coburn needs to be protected. <laughs> yeah, he's just in there just muscling Kofi Coburn around. Yeah. yeah. If he does I think this that's my favorite quote of a uh, very long Big Ten basketball season that's featured a lot of, because you can't go to the games. No. A lot of Big Ten announcers. They uh, yesterday was a weird game. So Nebraska basketball's in-house DJ, which they've still been using, even though there's no fans, has he's he's got this bit, and it has become a bit that every time an opponent is warming up at Pinnacle Bank Arena and Nebraska's not on the floor, he plays like really soft adult contemporary music. Last night it was he had like a really kind of like funky version of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer playing. While, while Rutgers was warming up. So th that might become a thing. But, I mean, that that kind of started off the night weird. Like, he was playing The Gambler and, like, a bunch of old, like, country songs. And you go in and, and you just have a performance like that. I mean, maybe it becomes a thing. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, I, I'm trying to remember what your original question was. But it, it's – Yeah, you're filibustering really well. Yeah. I mean, it was just a weird night. Like it's been a long time. And we, we were talking beforehand that it's probably been since that Illinois game in Doc Sadler's last year where Nebraska just took it to a conference opponent like that. So here, here's my question. I'll, I'll kind of send it back to you. Teddy Allen leaves the program. 
he's obviously been a, I think it's fair to say a message board lightning rod in terms of what he means or doesn't mean for this program and what yeah, it means for the offense. Fan base lightning rod. Yeah. Stands out beyond the message board. So what, what, I mean, last night wasn't just all on Teddy Allen leaving, but I mean, at the same time, I think that Nebraska's offense last night looked a lot closer to what they would like it to look like going forward. And, and people that have far more knowledge of the situation than I do sort of intimated that it just came down to Fred had gotten exhausted by the fact that he and one of the more ball dominant players on his team were not running the same offense, despite the fact that, you know, he's the one calling the offense. So right. I think that came to a head uh, in the, the Illinois and Minnesota games. I think the frustration had been boiling over well before then. Uh, just based on on what I have heard from people and they had a real conversation about what you know it's supposed to be and I think there was a disagreement about that and ultimately Fred Hoiberg has to do what he has to do to protect the future of the program not just the next four games and I I don't know I don't know of anybody that anticipated this was going to be a long-term fit between Nebraska and Teddy Allen Um, I know he only has one year left of eligibility but I pretty early on was not entirely certain that he was going to be back for another year. And then certainly since the restart and just the glances and the body language between Hoiberg and, and Teddy Allen at times was never, you know, and I don't know, it's harder for you to maybe see up in the press area for the home games, but certainly, uh, you know, watching at home, like Allen would come out and Hoiberg would either just straight ignore him or, I mean, it was just a, it was, it was, not shocking it that 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 press release came out on Monday. I think the timing of it with four games left was weird, but Allen has a wrist injury. And so, you know, it might just be simple where Nebraska is ready to move on. He wasn't going to play much and they don't even want him on the bench. So I, I, I don't think that the reason they broke out last night is that Teddy Allen was not there. I think some of it is just as simple and as stupid of an analysis as you can get. They made shots. Yeah. This is an offense that I've said repeatedly, the shots are there. The, you know, the offense works. The, the ability, excuse me, the offense as it is framed has the ability to work. Nebraska has not hit those shots. So when you have lat knocking down threes very early, it then opens up the middle of that floor that you can start to attack more because they're not closing out and suffocating the middle of the lane all of a sudden Walker ends up with, you know, double digit points and Trey McGowan's is incredibly efficient. I mean, when it looks good, it can look really, really good. And when it looks bad, you have Trey McGowan's five for 20 because he's barreling into three guys just trying to get a shot up because nobody's hitting from outside of 10 feet. Yeah. So I think that all of those things combined help Nebraska kind of have the night that they did last night. Yeah, no, I think your read on, on the Teddy situation is correct. I mean, I think, the, the game that kind of stands out the most among the others was the, the home game against Illinois and the way that, that that last sequence in regulation unfolded. Like, there was somebody on that floor that was not on the same page with what was being discussed in the huddle, and I think it was pretty obvious to everybody who was not on the same page there. And I think that's kind of an example of what you're talking about where, you know, things work as they're constructed, but you 
need to operate within the framework of right. the way that they're constructed. And that just wasn't happening. And, you know, Fred talks a lot about, or had talked a lot about guys just putting their head down and barreling in. And, and Teddy was not alone in that. I mean, Trey did it. Delano Banton did it. Shamil Stevenson's guilty of that. I mean, it, everybody took their turns, but, you know, I, I think you saw Fred as time went on, especially post Penn state um, kind of, rein things in a little bit from the standpoint of you go down and hoist up a bad three-pointer I'm going to pull you out and yeah he did that I mean he only played 10 minutes um you know in, in in the last game that he played uh against Minnesota Illinois he was you know extremely limited so you know I, I just think it got to the point where they said enough is enough and you know the the kind of going into to last night you know, I think what, what you're finally seeing is, and I think Nebraska made a, a smart choice. They, they got the ball out of Delano Banton's hands um, to, to, to initiate the offense. They, they're running a lot more through Trey McGowan's now, and he's playing well. Like, he's, he's been very yeah, efficient. The really last good game. games in a row. Right? Yeah. And I think that's helped tremendously. Um, I think you're, you're seeing seniors who are getting towards the end of their career kind of getting that late – career bump I mean your Thor is junior year Thor and not the Thor that you had you know the first two seasons in Nebraska Kobe Webster is playing a lot better um, you know I think Derek Walker finally has you know the the conditioning where it needs to be I think he was really struggling with that so it, it, it seems like all of these things are kind of coming together at the right time plus you have you know the, the Teddy departure that you know I, I think it's a a combo of all of that yeah because i think it's it's easy to kind of point at it and say well okay well it's a, a situation where Deverell biggs leaves and nebraska goes on this long run and I, I think that's a piece of it but i mean there's a lot of other things going on that are leading to this improved play yeah it's also sort of interesting um because it was kind of pointed out and other people had mentioned this to me throughout the season and i never really saw it but i heard more about it in the last day or so they had a real kind of uh alpha issue on the court between McGowan's and Allen. Like those guys, I don't think played well together mm -hmm. um, and certainly did not play well off of each other. And it speaks to that final possession against Illinois. Um, and then ultimately, if you're Fred Hoiberg, like, you know, which direction you're choosing in that. Uh, if, if you had to make a choice, you know, yeah. so, yeah. Um, so it's a, uh, it will be interesting to watch these final, you know, they're, they're guaranteed at least three more games. We'll see if they continue to play as well as they have the last two games, they could win in that first night in the, in the tournament. Eventually they're going to run out of, out of steam, but um, you know, they could win against both Iowa and Northwestern this week too, if they continue this high level of play. So there's, there's still uh, some intrigue about how this season can finish, but I do think that, we're starting to see this version of a team and it, it's been such a weird year Bronx, because I felt like during that uh, Michigan state, Indiana stretch before the shutdown, like it had finally turned a little bit. You've got to see what Derek Walker was going to give them. You know, if Indiana hadn't started so hot in that game or if Nebraska closed better in the final two minutes, I think they beat Indiana before they go into that COVID pause and then they come out of it and they have to like functionally learn how to play basketball again. Yep. I think it took them a little while. Yeah, no, it's it, it, it's going to be an interesting final few games. And, I mean, we'll probably get into this in the spring, but, 
the construction of this roster next season is going to be fascinating to follow because you obviously right now with Teddy leaving are sitting at the 13 scholarship limit, assuming no other attrition. And that's also assuming that Thor and Kobe Webster move on. I I don't expect either of them back. I would be very surprised. Um, You know, I, I think, and Nebraska is going to have other attrition. It's, it's college basketball, so it's going to happen. But, um, you know, I, I, think, I think you're going to have to have a conversation about whether or not you go get a point guard as a transfer. I think that's something that you have to look hard at, even though Trey's been better in that role. More of a two. He is more of a two. Um, you know, do, do you go find more post help um, to help out with the, the three guys that you now have? that may not be three um, whenever they get going next season. So uh, that, that, that's going to be some important decision-making for Fred. Cause I think you're now at the point where you're probably fine tuning your roster instead of just completely turning it over again. Yeah, no, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. And the attrition thing is going to be interesting too, because we've seen, um, as you mentioned, they've turned things over two years in a row. I don't anticipate that. I think the bones of what this team is going to be, uh, McGowan's, Banton, Walker, I expect all to be back. Um, you know, Stevenson, I think will be back. Uh, Eduardo Andre certainly has a role and I think he'll be back. Ivan's a guy that I'm not a hundred percent sure on. Uh, and Trevor Lakes, I feel like they probably saw enough to realize that maybe the big 10 is too big of a jump. Yeah. I I don't, you know, I don't want to sit here and be like, Oh yeah, I don't think this guy's going to necessarily be here next year. But you know, I had to pick someone where it seems like, you know, maybe the the conversation has to be, look, this level just isn't a fit for either of us. I just haven't seen anything from Trevor Lakes. that tells me that there's even a a possibility of being a five minute role guy for him. I mean, I, Essentially, the role that he would was to play on this team is going to be filled next year, conceivably by uh, Keishi Tominaga. Right, Japanese Steph Curry. Yeah, yeah. Easier for me to say that. <laughs> so we'll just we'll go with that. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll get into a little 2022 recruiting. I can hear the people at home wondering what 2022 recruiting, because Nebraska has no commitments. That's that's a joke, Bruns. Thanks. For I, I, I got it. These are these are not. It's not a joking matter, Mike. <laughs> I mean, it kind of <laughs> is to me. But uh, we will we will dive into a little bit of what's going on with 2022 recruiting, the recruiting calendar, some targets, uh, and see if Bruns has any questions. So all of that and more when we return with the Husker 24/7 podcast. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer 
And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, I mentioned we were going to get into some 2022 recruiting. Also mentioned Nebraska does not have any commitments at this time. Brunts, do you have a concern level that it is March 2nd, 2022, Nebraska has zero commitments, Nebraska has on 24 seven sports, I think three different players of a crystal ball projection. Do you, do you have concern at this point in time? That, that was going to be my question for you. Um, well, I'll answer it after you answer it. A month ago, I would say no post post signing day. I was thinking now, you know, this is going to be a slow year probably from the standpoint of early commitments because of the lack of visits, all that other stuff. Um, at that point, I believe there were six, maybe seven Big Ten teams that didn't have a commitment yet um, at that point. And you know, Nebraska's always kind of been a, a, a late uh, a late bloomer, I guess, in terms of adding commitments. But some classes are starting to, to get rolling a little bit. Um, you know, some schools are getting commitments from guys that haven't visited yet. And I think uh, the, the concern meter might be a little bit higher than, than uh, maybe I was a month ago, but yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, I'll, I'll defer to you. My, my answer to your initial question is yes, there's a, there's a little bit of concern. Yeah, I have some as well. It mostly stems from, I'm still not sure, like, you know, Nebraska has guys that I think are going to end up in this class. Like Quentin Conley, I think is going to be a part of this class. I think that Ernest Hausman ultimately will be a part of this class. I think that Gavin Myers could be a part of this class, but the thing is they don't want to make a decision before they can visit other places. Nebraska's in this sort of catch 22 where they're in the lead and they can probably get a commitment, but they can't actually bring a kid to campus and the kid can't weigh Nebraska against anything else. If he's already been to Nebraska and so it's just sort of like a, they, they need the visit period in order to get visits to other schools to then be able to help cement themselves. <laughs> like it's just a, a bizarre set of circumstances that just classically fit the program that we cover in the era of time that we're currently in. But I, I wonder like what sort of pitch Nebraska has right now to a kid that would make them commit to a place like this sight unseen because 
you know, as much as we like these coaches that are involved in the recruitment, like every staff has coaches that are popular or do well with recruiting or that, you know, can build relationships. Every staff can talk about, you know, what they think they're building towards the future. What can Nebraska point to over the last three years? If you're an offensive recruit specifically, that's going to make you be like, yeah, I, this is a place that's, you know, training in the right direction. This is where I want to be. Like they're, they're not winning enough games. They're not putting up enough offense. I think it's easier on the defensive side of the ball because you can point out, look, we've got a very veteran group. We need to replace these guys. We've gotten better every year since Eric Andrews has been here as our defensive coordinator, you know, all of those sorts of things. But when you talk about offensive recruiting right now, it just has to be so tough because like, I don't know what it is other than just playing time, which maybe that's just a pitch that you hammer home as much as possible because Nebraska doesn't have a lot of currently defined roles. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I think the pitch, I don't think the pitch has changed a ton. I mean, I think this staff has always kind of sold the family aspect. Yeah. I, th- I think you probably lean a little bit more into the, the NIL stuff. I mean, I, I think that's part of the pitch, regardless of the side of the ball yep. that you're on. I think for Nebraska, you, you do pitch pl- playing time a little bit. I do think you delicately refer to the success that you've had in this offense at other stops. Um, I think that you point a little bit to – I mean, I, I think you also have to kind of sell what your vision is. I mean, you can, right. you can say – I think it's okay to say, look, like, we haven't been very good on this side of the ball, or this is kind of what the issues have been. This is where we're going forward. I mean, I think you have, I think at certain positions, you have an easier sell than others. I mean, I think if you're a, if you're recruiting a tight end right now, aside from the depth chart being a little bit full, you, you can make a pretty good case that you're going to really use the hell out of tight ends going forward. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's some positions that, you know, Nebraska's maybe a little bit behind on. I mean, there's a lot of quarterbacks that have committed uh, to power five programs right now. And I don't even feel like there's a guy where I'd be like, yeah, this feels like their number one target or this feels like someone they've got a lot of traction with. You know, Connor Harrell, maybe, but he's also the guy that has maybe the least amount of attention. Maybe it's A.J. Bianco from Hawaii, but he didn't get to play a junior season. There's too many caveats with some of this, and I, that's sort of where I get concerned. Yeah, I think, but I I think, uh, I think you're right that that defensively, it's probably an easier sell right now based on, you know, immediate results. What, so 2022, I'm curious, what two positions do you think Nebraska needs to really hit on in this class? Because if you look at the way the roster is currently constructed, you have a ton of guys that are freshmen redshirt freshmen sophomores in this program so you know at least the numbers at a lot of spots look really good but at the same time you haven't had to really depend on the guys that are the numbers in those particular spots if that makes sense so where where do you think that people need to really be paying attention to some of these offers that are going out and where Nebraska ultimately needs to close and and build depth well, so the, the position I think is most vital in this class is nose tackle because I don't know what the plan is after 
Damian Daniels and maybe Ty Robinson ends up more as a nose tackle than a defensive end. And so then you're good there. Or maybe you're getting two more years of Jordan Riley. And so then you're good there, but you lost Keem green. Not that I think that he was ever going to be sort of the guy by any stretch of the imagination, but you're a little thin there. So that, you know, and that could also just be maybe Nash Hutmacher ultimately becomes their nose tackle. Like there's, there's enough sort of questions about the, the depth behind, but I, I think they have to go out and get a guy that's a definitive nose tackle sort of like a Damian Daniels that you're going to groom for a couple years. And then he's going to be your guy, because I think that's kind of what sets the progress they've made as a defense going forward is when you switched out from Mick Stoltenberg and you got to the Daniels brothers as your defensive tackles in 19 and 20, I think that helped other areas of the defense. Like I, yeah. I think the, the play increase we've seen at the second level has been, yes, the different talent there, but also Damian Daniels just takes up space. He's a space eater. He takes up two to three linemen sometimes. And I think that's a huge deal. And I don't know what that depth chart is. And some of that is, like I said, it could be as simple as Nash Hotmacher is the anointed guy behind him. And then we're not as worried about it. Defensive back is another one, specifically cornerback and safety. I mean, those are the two spots. But, I mean, they, they've got to go get, I think, a couple guys in this class that they feel good about that they can develop kind of moving forward. One of the guys I really liked, and I think they really liked, they got left out of this top six and Jordan Allen uh, reminded me a lot of Cam Taylor, uh, a guy that, you know, isn't a super highly rated guy, but is tough. You can tell from talking with him that he would resonate really well with Travis Fisher and that he would have fit into that room. They have to find guys like that because I think Cam Taylor Britt's going to be gone. You know, you have Quentin Newsom, you have Braxton Clark, you have Lynham but you don't actually know what you have with any of those corners yet. And you'll find out more throughout the spring. And then of course, in the fall, but beyond that, you know, you have Mark, you have, you have Buford, um, you have Malik Williams. You just have a lot of question marks. So I think you have to keep stacking. It's like wide receiver. You have to just keep stacking bodies until you have less question marks than you do, I guess, bodies overall. And so um, that's kind of where I'm at with their recruiting and you could say the same thing about outside linebacker. I mean, so it seems like it's really defensive heavy, but then they also have to go out and I think find a couple wide receivers. And then of course the big one to me is also quarterback, but I think that's always big. So that's kind of a gimme answer that I wanted to, to leave to the side where I feel good. I still feel good about what they're doing on the offensive line. I don't think they're going to have to take five guys in this cycle. They might end up with three. They might not be guys that are going to, blow the doors off I don't know if they're going to get another Turner Corcoran in this class so to speak but I think they're going to get two good interior players and then another tackle that you know is it more of a developmental type would be my guess uh, and then tight end they're going to take a couple but they have so many really kind of interesting targets around the country uh, that I think they're going to end up in a pretty good spot and I'm still one of the few hopeful people that thinks that they can uh make it work with Caden Helms. And so I think that would be a really big local win if they can pull that off. So we're sitting here on March 2nd. The um, question we get a lot is what is Nebraska going to do with those last two spots uh, that they have from the previous class? Still too early to tell. It seems to me like it's probably go through the spring, see where they've got at certain spots and use those two spots there. Yeah. Or are you thinking it's still best available at this point? I think it's going to be best available regardless of when they end up taking these guys. Though I, I really do think, and this is just me, like I don't know if this is what Nebraska will do, 
I would take a quarterback. It doesn't have to be, you know, Terry Wilson's a name that's been talked about. Um, there's beautiful symmetry there for Terry Wilson, Scott Frost, and Nebraska. Um, and you. And you. Emergence of, of circles. Yes, and me. Uh, but, I, you know, if, if it's Terry Wilson, but even if it's not, they I still think they need another quarterback. Like, I just – I know that um, I don't want to diminish what Logan Smothers could be. But the fact is he has no experience. He had no meaningful spring ball last year. He went through camp, but there's a highly strong likelihood he got significantly less reps than either McCaffrey or Martinez. And so he's just, I think, behind where you would have a freshman quarterback right now. And I have questions about whether he has the arm capable of playing in an offense that as much as they want to throw the ball, like you got to be accurate and you have to be able to push it a little bit. And the question mark of him coming out of high school was, can he throw the ball in a college setting? And I know that our evaluators loved his intangibles. They love his toughness. They love how he runs. They think that he's a gamer, but all of the great sort of qualities, but then you get to them talking about his arm and it's kind of like, yeah, he's got one, which, you know, isn't particularly exciting. So I'm, I'm probably overly low on Logan Smothers until I get to see him. And I get to hear more about him this spring. And so because of that, quarterback remains a concern. You think I'm, I'm over the top on that? No, I mean, I think Nebraska, I think with the quarterback spot, you go through the spring, you see where Logan Smothers is. If there's any question about whether he can come in and win you games, I think you go get a quarterback. Um, I think – you know, maybe what you could do is, you know, if you do find a guy that's kind of like an Oliver Martin situation where you can bring in a guy as a walk-on and not use a scholarship on and maybe you do that. I don't know how likely that is. Yeah. But, I mean, maybe there's a Juco guy this spring that just lights it up too. I mean, I, I don't know. But I, I don't think you're out of bounds by saying that. I mean, the quarterback question to me is, is very much – unsettled i guess until they go through 15 practices in the spring well you know who the guy who's going to be starting for you in 2021 is but because he's never played a full season right and even just moments like purdue and minnesota last year where he had to leave during the game um it just there's there's just too much uncertainty for the state of their quarterback room for my life right now so that's fair uh that's just kind of where i fall with it I, I think, I mean, we covered most of the ground in terms of recruiting at the moment. I, I don't know that there's anybody that I've unearthed or talked to lately where I would say that I feel like Nebraska has really strong momentum with um, presently. I mean, I, again, there's a lot of guys in the Midwest that I think they're sitting okay with. It's just sort of a, you know, what's next kind of thing. Right. You know? And, and like I said, I, I feel like there's, there's a better than 70% chance they get Quentin Conley, but he's probably not going to be the first commitment in this class. So I, 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 I don't even know when people ask that question, we get that a fair amount. Who's the first guy to commit in, in 2022. I mean, it feels like it's a Willie Hampton situation. It's just going to happen someday. And I'm going to be texting you and I'm like, who the hell is? And then whatever the player's name is, because that happens from time to time especially when you have a team that offers as many players as Nebraska does. But no, I mean, um, it, it could be like a Becton Fisher special where you get a guy that isn't really on the radar from Georgia right. or Florida who hops in the boat. So, I mean, yeah. that's, I, I would put that as, as 
as likely as a possibility as, you know, somebody that is a really known entity deciding to just randomly pull the trigger. Right. I agree. All right. Uh, do you have any other final thoughts here? I, I have a final thought for you, actually. Go ahead. I have no final why, thoughts. Uh, why are you out on Angels in the Outfield? Clearly the best of the trinity of children baseball movies. No, it's not. Because the, the three that you mentioned, Rookie of the Year, Little Big League, and Angels in the Outfield. Angels in the Outfield, I, I find to be quite schmaltzy. Oh, uh, it's schmaltzy as hell. But I... There's a, a certain charm about Gary Busey um, grunting as Chet Stedman in, in Rookie of the Year and Daniel Stern. The, the end of that movie where he floats it in is a little unbelievable, and I, I don't really have strong feelings about the fact that it's the Cubs. But Eight-year-old uh, you is just like, I do not believe the physics that this baseball would survive from the, yeah. the toss from the mound. Yeah, he, he would have hit that to that bar where that woman drew the pen, pen, pen picture of you that before that game that, that I commissioned. Hanging up in my uh, my office over here in the corner. So, uh, so that, I I think that's why I I I don't lean towards the overly sentimental uh, baseball movie. I don't, I don't I don't generally have a problem with it. I would rank it third among those movies. Although, if you really dig into it. Rookie of the Year and Little Big League are essentially the same movie, um, just different teams and just slight tweaks to the script. Do you want me to read through the all-star cast of Angels in the Outfield? Tony Danza's in that, isn't he? Yeah, so Danny Glover, Tony Danza, Christopher Lloyd, already pretty impressive. Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays the kid. He plays Roger, right. which I had completely like forgotten about. Neil McDonough is in this, Adrian Brody, and a young Matthew McConaughey. Who does Matthew McConaughey play? Is he a, is he a I think he's player? a center fielder. I okay. Think. I, uh, I would have to go. I have not watched Angels in the Outfield in a long time. Um, I, would have to, I would have to find somewhere where it would be available to, to watch. Um, I'm, sh- I'm shocked that they were able to get that movie made with that all-star cast. They must have just been burning money. Well, my, my guess is that you know, they scouted quite well as they put this cast together. So, yeah. uh, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of potential there. It's It was probably pulled together using the Moneyball theory before Moneyball was even made. <laughs> you know? Matthew McConaughey's the king of walks. Yeah. I I was thinking the other day, so I've been on a, like an, an Aaron Sorkin kick lately. I need to, uh, I need to rewatch Moneyball and see if I like it more the second time. Because I was pretty like, eh, on it the first time I watched it. It's all right. Yeah. It's all right. That's that's all you have for it. It's it's. I you enjoy. Like it steals your joy a little bit. No, well, I mean, I know how it ends. Um, I I knew people that were extras in the movie. They they went and sat in, in the O Co Coliseum as it was back then and uh, got in some of the the crowd shots. I still love the fact that that entire movie is made and they really don't reference Miguel Tejada, who was very good. <laughs> But also was played by Royce Clayton in the movie, which right. is amazing. Or they basically had the best pitching staff in baseball that year. Never yeah. mind that, you know, Hattie gets all the the pub. Barry Zito is still the best curveball you've ever seen? Yeah, and, and a hell of a guitar player, from what I understand. All right. And with that, we will finish up another rousing edition of the Husker 24-7 podcast. 
we're uh, we're sorry BC wasn't here to even us out. We can get a little weird, I guess, without him. Uh, we can get a lot more weird with him. I yeah, see. yeah, we can we can go both ways. So we'll be back later this week uh, with another podcast, and we will uh, catch you then here at Husker Twenty Four Seven. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.